0: Have a problem every year
1: around MLK Day because Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., for some reason, has been treated as America's civil rights
2: mascot. On this day, you'll have folks who would have never in their life marched with, agreed with, voted with anything he believed in. One of the biggest, biggest in the United States Congress, he had the audacity
1: to send out. I want to thank my friend and brother and comrade and co-conspirator and actually former bandmate Aaron Lee for um, allowing us to use his song into the storm as our theme song so thank you very much I gotta give you credit because he's a, a phenomenal bass player and he's a phenomenal friend and he actually has his own business with Legos teaching young people about science technology Uh, engineering and math using Legos, so big shout out to him, and a big shout out to you, where am I, big shout out to you, we're here for another live edition of On Another Level, I'm your host Sharon Hinton, tonight it's me and you, and you know what we're going to talk about tonight? Violence in the community, I mean, we're about to go into the holidays, however way you celebrate the holidays, but there's three big ones in a row, Thanksgiving Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving or Day of Mourning if you're Native American like myself. Um, then you have Christmas, and then there's all sorts of, you know, a bunch of holidays in there, Christmas and solstice and, and, you know, Hanukkah and all this other stuff, and I think Eid too, and then, you know, New Year's, where people seemingly tend to just figure out that they're going to just go crazy, but what has been happening in the last few days, and it's not just in Boston, across the country, have been mass shootings, most recently another mass shooting, in a gay club in Colorado. Colorado, what is up? Like you're killing school kids, you're killing gay people. Like what is good with that? Um, And then in Massachusetts, in Boston, we've had this spate of violence even today. Somebody drove into an Apple store and hurt somebody and then there was an accident for a group of uh, students coming back from Brandeis. So around this time, it's really difficult when families are coming together and people lose the members of their family. I want to start this show off though on something way, way more positive, even though we're going to talk about, you know, people losing their lives and killing and being killed and stuff because we really want to send out prayers and love and hugs. And if you know somebody that you think might be lonely, just give them a call. Like I I try to get out of that, um, gee, I was thinking about you. If I'm thinking about you, then I'm going to give you a phone call or hit you up on Facebook or text message you or something because there's a reason why God has put you on my heart right now you are on my heart and we're going to see a couple of clips and then we'll be taking live phone calls 617-708-3280 I'm letting you know now because it's going to be me and you on another level here live Comcast 23 and all those other channels will be right back check out this clip about all these black townships and we were doing more better
3: And Oklahoma is a unique space in terms of the number of African-American towns that were established. Some suggest upwards of 50 African-American towns. Between 1924 and 1928, Reverend S.S. Jones was going around documenting this sort of self-determined, vibrant African-American communities. You see the African-American educators, doctors, lawyers, landowners, oil barons. And I think that's what's so remarkable about this footage. To think that individuals, how many years out of slavery, are now owning oil wells that are producing 2,000 barrels a day. Is that not the ultimate American dream? Is that not the ultimate American story? It flies in the face of what I think some people consider part of African-American history and culture. And I think that that was one of the things that Oklahoma and what S.S. Jones is really kind of showing is that that African-American history and culture is not a monolith. And in a way, it became kind of like a marketing tool to encourage individuals to migrate, to move there, that this is a place where you can live, you can thrive, and peacefully reside there were still palpable racial tensions. There are lynchings, there's Jim Crow segregation, there's all of these things and you still have an African American community or many communities that really speak to the fortitude and resilience of black people in this country.
1: I wanted you to look at that clip. To remember, because, you know, to refute some of the stereotypical things that get said about our people, about black people, about people of color, but black people in this country. Um, And this was the 1920s. I was born in 1955, the year after Brown versus Board of Education, the year after the Supreme Court had to come down and say, guess what? Black folks and white folks can go to school together. That was the good part. The bad part is that. As a result of that um, mandate, that legislation, black schools were shut down and tens of thousands of black teachers were unemployed, were pushed out of their jobs. And so the schools and the institutions that actually turned out more doctors, lawyers, um, engineers, scientists, inventors, actually were shut down. And so you have the remnants of that, which are HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, that are struggling now, financially struggling now because that was the place that we had to go because we legally couldn't go anywhere else. And when integration came in, Brown versus Board of Education in 1954, black educators and teachers and administrators were told, you're not good enough to teach white students. You're not good enough to work in a white school. We're not going to hire you. We're not going to promote you. And by the way, that's happening now in Boston. There's currently a lawsuit going on. There's an investigation that's going on in Boston Public Schools where there are um, six legislators that are fighting for their educational careers. We're talking about long-time, um, storied, famous, experienced, amazing, phenomenal educators and administrators, uh, leaders, uh, leaders, educational leaders in Boston Public Schools that um, were actually backed up by a letter. The meeting is ongoing right now as we speak backed up by a letter that was signed by 15 retired Boston Public School leaders of color that said we want you to investigate what is happening with the administrative meetings, the investigatory meetings, the hearings that have pushed black teachers, black educators, black leadership in Boston Public Schools out. That's happening now. I'm sitting before you now and I can tell you that my generation was the generation that remembers white only colored only remembers and marched with Martin Luther King, heard Malcolm X, heard the Black Panthers participated in a lot of different things. I was young and then I was a student and then a college student, and so I remember people disappearing, going down south and getting um, lynched and and disappearing and find, found underneath bridges and stuff and it was it was a coalition of, of people of all backgrounds, white, black, Latino, brown, Asian students, older, younger, um, especially the younger, that were putting their lives on the line so that we could vote, putting their lives on the line so that we could walk into a store and not be questioned, not be arrested, not be lynched for being uppity. I remember that. I remember that, and I'm alive talking to you right now. So here's the other part that really, so I showed you that clip and it talked about at least 50 documented cities where after slavery, after reconstruction, we looked for our families. We looked for the people that were missing. We looked for the missing people and pieces in our community and came together. And even when everything was stacked against us, I mean the legislative branch, the executive branch, and the judicial branch. You're talking about not only law enforcement, but judges, Supreme Court. Not only um, you're talking about corporations trying to get into businesses, trying to own. We legally could we could invent something and not be able to own the patent. So you can see things that are very common now: the mailbox, the ironing board, the traffic light, um, 3D television, the cell phone, um, the super soaker. Those were invent, and that's just. That's just the tip of the iceberg. The elevator refrigeration units were created, invented by black Americans, black people. Ice cream cone, the potato chip, you feel me, the potato chip. I'm not bugging, do your history, do the research. And yet and still, we're still fighting for reparations. We're still fighting to be compensated for the free labor for over hundreds of years that we provided in this country so that other people are coming to this country and talking about how great this is and it's a financial opportunity and we were born here. There is legislation going on now that is trying to turn back the right to vote. The right to vote. You're supposed to have the right to vote because you're born here as an American citizen you turn 18. That's it. That's not the case and it's never been the case when it came to African-Americans. So if you have just gone past this November 8th election, and you did not register to vote, or you, did not have the, or you did not use that vote, even though you're registered to vote, your ancestors should jump back up and slap you, for real. Slap you, because people died for the right to vote. Died, jailed, went to jail, were lynched, were dismembered, were burned, do the history. There's a movie out now called Till. It's still in the movie theaters. And it's from the viewpoint of uh, Emmett Till's mother. Emmett Till was 14 years old, and all he—he he didn't even do it, but he was uh, accused of just whistling at a white woman down in Money, Mississippi. And they knocked on his uncle's door. He was just—he was from Chicago. He was just going down to visit his uncle in Mississippi, and they knocked on his door. Two white men was actually a group of white men, and it was some black men involved too. Dragged him out of the house, and the next time they saw him, he had a gin mill. Um, with barbed wire around his, leg, his neck drowned in the river, but he had been shot and maimed, and, and, and his mother courageously um, let the world see what they did to her son, her 14-year-old son. So that movie, "Till" is about that. Now, if you want to see something more on the uplifting side, what kind of forever. Hey, I went to see it. I, for me, I loved it because I'm a filmmaker, I'm into television, and everything and music. The score was beautiful, the cinematography was beautiful, Um, but I'm also a a comic geek, so I remember what Black Panther really was, and then when they resurrected it, what they tried to turn it into, and then what it looks like now. So some things were problematic for me, but I went on the premiere night because I want the numbers to show that Hollywood and every other major producer should be putting money into the black narratives, into black stories, and you'll make money, because that's been the narrative oh you know that's, that's a marginalized um, demographic, we're not gonna make any money. Well Black Panther and Wakanda Forever have blown that out of the water. Um, right now you probably already missed some of the other plays. Joe Turner's Come and Gone, a live amazing play that was at Huntington Theater. I'm celebrating the opening of Huntington Theater. Joe Turner's Come and Gone, August Wilson, an amazing African-American playwright who's now passed on. Um, and then there was Drum Folk, which is brought by Step Africa and Emerson Theater. I mean, I feel like this, you know, these past couple of months have been like Black History Month all over again, which is awesome. And then there was, you know, Woman King with Viola Davis. So she started it off, you know, going up there slashing and slaying. And uh, Lupita Ni- uh, Lu- Nyong'o, Lupita Nyong'o, who's actually in um, Wakanda forever and in Black Panther had had been offered a position or a role in that movie, and she said it was problematic because the true history. Of the Dahomey um, women warriors was really problematic in terms of their participation. I mean, historical participation in the slave trade. So she she wasn't feeling it. However, you should do your history. Um, so there's that piece right there. But get to let's get to to really why I wanted to talk to my community. And I have been invited to so many meetings, community organized meetings, locally organized meetings around the violence that has been happening in our community. Um, Queen Mother, Jean McGuire, has known me all of my life and so uh, a couple of months ago she was stabbed and sexually assaulted while she was walking her dog in Franklin Park. So I take it very personally because that's my community and that's one of my mothers. Um, I don't think they've actually arrested the person uh, and indicted the person so that's a problem. Um, So I want to take some phone calls from you And I don't want to just go over and rehash what's happening. There are young people that are being murdered and dying. A week or so ago, the the whole weekend there was like seven people shot and a couple people killed. That's bizarre. Like we are killing, not me personally, but when you see black and brown people killing black and brown people, you are killing troops in your own army. And if you're that bad behind, There's some people that don't want you around and I'm not advocating for violence. I am not. I am not. But if you're trying to be gangster, that's not a gangster move. Um, Shooting down women, shooting down children, shooting down elderly. They used to be, not that you should be shooting anybody, any other human being. You don't have the right to do that. You're not God. However, look at what's happening. I, I sort of felt like back in the day there was some kind of boundaries now it's like we don't even care. 617 708 3280. I have a phone caller here. Can you tell me your name, where you're calling from, and your comment or question or whatever? Let's go for it.
4: Anthony, I, I call for Welfare. I have a comment to make. It. Go for and it. And my comment goes like this. Sir. So, give me one, I'm a registered voter.
0: And uh, yes, I do hold my politicians. In check, because I do hold them accountable. I'm not like any other person who just voted, and then all of a sudden, that's it, let the parties do on the worker. And no, I'm not scared of many of these politicians named like Michelle Wu, Charlie Baker, all the city captains at law, even though they gave us up a race, which was completely wrong as it was just a registered voter. But for the killings and the murders, it seems now that the community is finally taking real action and being proactive in trying to keep the community safe because. The murder rate in Boston is, I'm not making excuses, but it should never have happened, period, especially for black and brown people, especially the black and brown young people. And when the community decides to do a closed door, no politicians or no elected so-called leaders at that meeting, that shows bravery. That tells me that the community is fed up and the community is taking the, the right steps and making sure they send the message to these elected officials like Michelle Wu, like our 30 city councilors, and soon-to-be governor-elect Maura Healy, that we as the people in this community is fed up. Since you're not doing your job, we are going to do your job for you by having this meeting and taking the the next appropriate, non-violent action and making our community safe like it's supposed to be, because I'm sick and tired of seeing these politicians being reactive and pro, and not proactive. There's a big difference in being reactive and proactive. Uh, and remember shell all the speech you can make about a person dying, we'll bring that person back, period. Uh. You can say she can say anything she wants. Uh, As for the city councilors, uh, I'm sorry, I'm gonna call them cowards because they're the same they're part the her leader. If you can't whether you're a district city council or a law city council, you should be at the front lines. Period. Yes, I know you can't be, you can't be all over the city or anywhere at once. You're one person. I understand that. But be smart on why this is happening. And do the proactive approach that needed to be done. Because it's going to be the same old, same old. Because guess what? Last time I checked, Boston to of Massachusetts. But we still can't get our, the parties can't get their act together. And we need real solutions. No more trying to do, and let the officials, and then you know, all of a sudden, it's, it's cool by y'all, and let them do all the work. No. And for Governor-elect Warren Healy and the legislature, I'm calling them out right here now. Please, uh, give T. Michael Thomas, uh, a man who has dedicated almost 20 years uh, of his life to help black and brown people with his people to carry. There is no excuse for that man not to get the resources from both Michelle Walker, who's, who's over to disappeared on him and the city counselor who, who decided to act like a bunch of cowards and just leave the man alone. Please, more healing he and see and the representatives give the man the resources he needs to give black and brown people the tools and techniques to teach us how to push. Give us this, because for so long, black and white we have to give pictures, huh? And if you do that, you make us feel like we're not even being just just depending on you, the government, huh? Until we can, please, give T. Michael Thomas the money you need, huh? Please. Thank sorry, you. Sorry for being, sorry being mad,
1: but that's how I feel. Thank you so much. And a shout-out for T. Michael Thomas. Too much talent, Thomas. Um... My dude, man, I've been working with him for about seven or eight years now, probably longer than that. Uh, he's talking about thank you caller, giving a shout out to T. Michael Thomas and the People's Academy. The People's Academy has finally acquired some land that's right in the middle of Roxbury. It's right. It's across from Boston Latin Academy. It's on the corner of Warren Street and Quincy Street. So you'll see the Roxbury multi, like the old fire station, right? Part of the Roxbury Multi Service Center, which I don't think I've really see people in and using that building. But there's a vacant lot that's right on the side of there and behind there. And see, Michael Thomas has been trying to get funded for 25 million. He's already got the plans for a building. It's a multi-use building that would be um, have manufacturing, training facilities, actually have living quarters for um, student artists and a, um, a gallery space to be able to actually uh, display the work of the artists that will be trained in copper artistry pipe fitting, sheet metal, and what's the other one? I can't forget, it. there's four. Carpentry, carpentry, copper artistry, sheet metal, and, and, and pipe fitting. That's what it is. And he's also helped 25 people from the community to be able to um, get into the electricians' union and they're about to graduate. So this brother, T. Michael Thomas, and I know him big time, has um, run up against <clears throat> Some some skin folk that ain't kin folk and some other people because he is unapologetically not bowing down. Now I know, I remember um, growing up and the adults just kept us mad busy. (laughs) Like we were doing homework or we were doing yard work or we were doing some kind of work. We were hustling. So even if we thought about doing something crazy, we're too tired. In the community, I remember um, most people had both of their parents up into the 70s up into the mid-70s and then crack and drugs and everything hit and um, mass incarceration and stuff and different legislative policies, three strikes are out. So it was all sorts of things, the welfare policy and and black people are the only people in this country that once we were getting um, assistance from the government, which basically crippled us because of the policies that were happening to not let us live in certain parts of the city. So it's segregated housing, that's where you get projects from, stacking people up on top of each other because we couldn't because of redlining, the banks weren't giving us the money to be able to um, buy houses, and then you'd move into a neighborhood and all of a sudden they got burning crosses and they're breaking your windows and they're threatening your life so there's all sorts of attitudes and governmental policies that kept black people um, oppressed oppressed segregated, discriminated against so the positive side of that is that you couldn't go anyplace else so our doctors, we could see doctors, lawyers, politicians, um, educators, school leaders in the community. You saw them. Um, and then when people got better jobs through either middle-class work in factories and stuff or educated, they moved out. And the only people who stayed in the hood in the ghetto were people that couldn't afford to. So that's, a, you know, that's a wealth inequality, but it's also built into that. Um, if you didn't know, now you know, Boston is the second most expensive city to live in, in the country, Boston. Number two, most expensive place. And if you look at the average one bedroom apartment, and I'm not talking about a luxury apartment, you're talking about anywhere from $3,000 to $3,500 a month. So we, we are number two. And then in Roxbury, and this hasn't changed, the wealth gap between people who live in a certain zip code only have a net worth of eight dollars, African-Americans in Roxbury, versus the net wealth of Caucasian families, 248,000. And it's not because we didn't work. We worked harder than anybody for free. That was slavery, okay? 617-708-3280. One of the diversionary programs, when I say diversionary, to keep you from going to jail or help you to get out of jail and get um, a marketable job is a technical vocational job. A lot of you may have heard about um, the debt cancellation that Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, has tried to, to um, get passed through the legislature and there's elected officials who are blocking that, going to the courts to block that. Um, more black and brown students have a higher level of debt. A higher non-completion of degree. So here you are, you can't get any more money. I remember personally going into the financial aid trying to get some government loans, um, government grants, Pell grants that I wouldn't have to be charged an exorbitant amount of interest and they said well can't you just borrow it from somebody. If I could borrow from somebody I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. No. I came in here because this government money is supposed to be set aside for black and brown and low-income people. And I remember the schools, by the way, the cost of education has gone up 300%, but for those of you who are working and know, job wages have not gone up that much. If you, go, if you have gone to the store in the past month or so, you look at the cost of milk and bread, food, eggs, food, basic kinds of stuff but your income has not gone up, your cost of living increase has not gone up in your wages and people are still, let me just say this, COVID is still killing people out there. I wear my mask, I'm not wearing it right now, but I'm in the studio by myself. But when I go out and I'm going out to movies and plays and stuff like that, you best believe, first of all, I'm fully vaccinated and I'm boosted and I wear a mask because you know what? People are still getting sick and dying. That stuff is still out there killing people. So there are people out here in the buses, in the stores, in church or whatever, la, 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 spitting on each other, coughing on each other. As a school teacher, as an educator, this is flu season. Even before COVID, you got kids that are hugging on you, or, you know, sneezing and touching banisters and stuff like that. So this is automatically flu season anyway. And then you've got COVID on top of it with all these crazy variants. So not only did I get vaccinated and boosted, but I took a pneumonia shot and a regular flu shot. I'm shot it up, okay? I have too much important work to do for me to be getting sick because somebody else doesn't care about their life or my life. That's my plug. Anyway, 617-708-3280. What is it? What are the solutions that we can have in our community? Because ain't nobody coming to save us. In our community, keep our kids alive. About a month or so ago, There was a seven year old student that brought a handgun to school. A handgun. So there's yes, how did he get a a loaded handgun and bring to school? And that's the first question. But maybe the first question is what made this young person think that they needed, this is a baby, that they needed to bring a handgun to school? That's not my kind of show and tell. For real. And then you've got this horrific, and by the way, this is around the anniversary of, uh, the, it was the nightclub, the Pulse nightclub, where almost, you know, where hundreds of people were shot, and so many people, I think it's about 49 people, were killed. I have to check my numbers. But people have been getting killed, and this just happened a couple of days ago. And the patrons in the club, because people are not having it anymore. You show up on a plane, and you, you know, and all of a sudden you want to, take a detour or something. Somebody, a passenger on the plane is like, nope, I spent too much money for this ticket. You know, I'm, nah And so passengers and citizens are like just tired of it. But what kind of mentality does it take to, to, to gun down babies, to go into an elementary school? In the last one, it was a teenager that did it. And he got the assault weapon from his family as a birthday present. Yes, mental illness is real. Yes, it's real. But there's also a climate in, in this country, in the media, where it is okay to kill another human being as a way of settling an argument or as a way of expressing yourself, which is crazy. <sighs> and I'm not using that term lightly, and I'm not using that term in, to refer to mental illness, because that's real, and it's very real in black community. It's very real in our communities because covid locked a bunch of people down the young people at a time when they're supposed to be you know getting socially acclimated and meeting their friends and joy, joy happy happiness three years they were not in the classroom they were not subjected to the social kinds of constraints and training that would help them go along and get along and then all of a sudden the schools open back up and you expect all these kids to sit sit in a school with all these people that they don't know they're stressed and were ignored because they're kids. So adults were saying, you're not stressed, I got this, and ignoring their kids, ignoring what was happening. People were traumatized. Some of the people that had domestic violence situations could not get out of that. There were people that actually went to work and were going to school to get out of their home situations that could no longer do that. And of course, that was gonna explode. And it did, and it still is. Trying to get you to think. Information to build a nation because we are a nation of people, one nation under a groove, 617-708-3280, on another level, going to take a break, but don't go anywhere and go get a sandwich, because I got some information for you, then we'll be right back taking your phone calls, I'm Sharon Hinton, on another level.
5: Gun violence is surging across the U.S. So far this year, there have already been 154 mass shootings. And new data shows the leading cause of death among children in 2020 was gun-related injuries. For more on what's behind these numbers, I spoke with Jennifer Masia. She's a reporter for The Trace. That's a nonpartisan, nonprofit newsroom focused on America's gun violence crisis. Jennifer Masia, thanks so much for being with us. And three mass shootings last weekend alone underscored what has been a month-long spate of gun violence across this country. Based on your research, your data analysis, what accounts for it?
6: Well, um, we have seen a surge in gun sales that accelerated greatly during the pandemic. A lot of Americans, their ideas of security and safety are wrapped up in firearm ownership. We actually had 12 mass shootings last weekend Um, the three that made the news, and there were nine others, where four or more people were shot in a single incident. This is happening earlier than we usually see it. Two years ago, right at the onset of the pandemic, there were 88 mass shootings at this time, so January through April. 2021, last year, there were 155. That's a big leap. This year so far, we've had 147. So, it seems that 2020 was something of a turning point, and the violence is happening earlier and earlier in the year now.
5: So, gun violence is going up, but the crime rate is going down. That, to me, seems counterintuitive. How do you account for those two trends?
6: Yes, uh, all types of crime actually are going down, but gun violence is going up, probably because there are 400 million guns in civilian hands in this country. It's just simple math. The more guns that are around, the more people are going to use them.
5: Last week, as you know, Georgia became the 25th state to eliminate the need for a concealed carry permit. So that means in half of the country now, you can carry a concealed gun with no permit and no training. How does that compound the issue?
6: Well, if there are no permits, they can't really check to see if that person is legally carrying. So you have people going out with guns in public who are not trained and don't have that extra layer of vetting. And we've seen law enforcement across the country come out against these bills And it just doesn't seem to matter uh, to Mm. the lawmakers. Um, And they're the ones who have to deal with it on the ground.
5: I wanna ask you about this new study by the University of Michigan, researchers there, who found that the leading cause of death among kids in 2020 was gun-related injuries. Kids obviously can't buy firearms, but they're still getting access to them.
6: They're getting access because um, in most of the country, there are no laws that criminalize leaving guns accessible to children. Um, So, you have a situation where there are millions of guns in households, and there's no safety training that goes with that. There's no mandatory class about how to keep a gun secure and safe, and there's no laws, really, in 2020. Uh, gun-related injuries became the leading cause of death among kids, that's actually in line with the huge jump we saw in gun deaths between 2019 and 2020. Um, It put us above 45,000 gun deaths in a single year. Now, we have never even breached 40,000 before that. It was a huge jump, and it was driven largely by homicides.
5: So, gun control is, is not moving really anywhere. It's entirely stalled. The Biden administration has talked about Providing more funding for community intervention, uh, the president signed a bill regulating so-called ghost guns. Uh, what needs to to happen to to sort of move the needle here?
6: The most successful gun violence prevention strategy would be controlling uh, access to firearms. Unfortunately, uh, federal background checks only cover seventy eight percent of gun sales, and that's written into our federal law. So you have almost a quarter of gun sales happening legally with no background check. States are taking it upon themselves um, to craft laws, but the problem is if the state next door has weak gun laws, you can just go get a gun there.
5: Jennifer, thanks for your time and for your insights.
1: Thank you so much for that report. So, you know, while you guys were watching that, I had to, um, this is CNN information on my phone. Police have identified the five people killed in Colorado Springs LGBTQ club shooting. This was updated as of today at 6.44 PM, Monday, November 21st. The man suspected of killing five people and wounding 17 others at a Colorado Springs LGBTQ nightclub will face multiple murder and hate crime charges. Police have identified the deceased vic- victims as Daniel Aston, Raymond Green Vance, Kelly Loving, Ashley Paw, and Derek Rump. Anderson Aldrich is facing five counts of first-degree murder and five counts of a bias-motivated crime causing bodily injury, according to an online docket in El Paso County courts. The district attorney for El Paso County, Michael Allen, said formal charges have not been filed and the, one, the ones on the docket are preliminary and might change. Um, So I'll go further on because I don't want to read the whole thing. I feared I was not going to make it out. What started as a joyous night of laughter and dancing Saturday night devolved into a scene of terror when a gunman walked into the club and immediately opened fire. I looked up and saw the outline of a man holding a rifle at the entrance of the club, probably about 15 feet from me, said Michael Anderson, who was bartending at Club Q in Colorado Springs, Colorado, late Saturday night. Within seconds, his friend in bar, he says, I ducked behind the bar, and as I did, glass began to spew all around me. Within seconds, his friend and bar supervisor, Daniel Aston, was fatally surrounded, fatally wounded, I'm sorry, fatally wounded. And then it goes on to talk about another four people were killed and 19 others, 17 of whom had gunshot wounds, needed medical attention. After a rampage that stirred memories of the 2016 Pulse Massacre in Orlando, Florida, in which 49 people at that LGBTQ nightclub were killed. Authorities identified Richard Fierro and Thomas James as two people who took down the gunman. Fierro, who did three tours in Iraq and one in Afghanistan during his 15 years in the Army, told the New York Times he went into combat mode. Was he shooting at the time? Was he about to shoot? I don't know, Fierro, who left the service as a major, told the newspaper, I just knew I had to take him down. So, you know, the article goes on, thank God for CNN News, um, nobody, nobody, nobody wants to go into some place, because things are opening up, right, and you're going to the movies, you're going to the club, you're going to the library, you're going to school, as a parent, you're sending your kids to school, and they don't come home? Um, you go out to a club and to enjoy, you know, because a lot of people are coming back together and they're enjoying like seeing each other and hugging each other with a mask for me, but hugging each other and there's a different, because we've been in remote, I mean, I've been in remote for at least two years with some people and I finally meet them in person and then you really see them. It's like, oh my God, they're taller, fatter, shorter, darker, lighter, whatever. Because now you're seeing them. You're not seeing them from here to here on Zoom. You're actually seeing them. And that can be really deceptive. But there's an energy. I love going to church. I love going to church. I love going into, I love people. I love meeting people, any kind of people, cool people. Um, But I love that kind of energy. And it's different than Zoom. Zoom, the advantage of Zoom is that you literally could talk to people around the world at the same time. And you could have hundreds of people in the same place and not worry about, you know, having the capacity or finding a seating arrangement or something like that. But everybody is trying to get back to um, being in person because we're human beings and we're built for that. We're built for fellowship with each other. But as we're going back to these meeting places, public places, stuff like this is happening. I'm not going to lie. I'm a city girl, right? So automatically, and I used to DJ, so automatically when I go into places, I'm looking for the exit. <laughs> like, if I gotta get out of here, how am I getting out of here? And I'll tell you a funny story real quick. While I'm waiting for you to call in, 617-708-3280, with some solutions on this violence in our community. So I was in the um, movie theater, um, and I think it was Randolph or something like that, and this is how long ago this was. My husband and I were watching Titanic, and there's a scene in Titanic where people are getting up and getting in line to leave the ship. Well, we're in the movies and all of a sudden people are lining up and they're walking down the aisle. And my husband looked at me and says, is this interactive? Like, are we supposed to be getting up? And come to find out there was a fire in the movie theater somewhere and it, it just coincidentally happened at the same time that people were falling out on the ship. And then we ended up going to the exit and everybody's outside and the fire engines come and it's all clear and we go back and watch the rest of the movie. But when I go into places, I don't care if it's a library, it's a school or something, the fact that you, you even think that you need a heightened awareness and I was in the movie theater watching *Kind of forever, there's the exits, boom, boom, boom. How am I, I got in here, how am I getting out of here? And hopefully it's handicap friendly because if there are people that are in some place and they can't move around, um, there have been soccer matches where more people have gotten crushed and killed from the stampede and not necessarily from the danger. If it was a platform collapsing or a gunman or whatever. So the fact that you have to have that kind of heightened sensibility is stressful, and our bodies are not made for that. Um, I think we have a phone caller here. Can you give me your name and where you're calling from and your comment?
4: Uh, I'm Cliff from Dorchester.
1: Hi, Cliff from Dorchester. How y'all doing?
4: Yeah, I'm good.
1: Give me some okay. solutions, brother. Why do you think it's happening and what can we do about it?
4: Okay, the violence that's happening?
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Okay, let me, let me put it in a political way for you. When they killed off all our leaders Sure. and they exiled them, they, they hunted them down, they, they, they murdered them, they killed them, that's when everything went haywire for us. Because there was nobody else to pick it up after Malcolm, after Martin, after Medica Evers, after all of these famous people. And if you really look at it, like today's society with this generation, they need love. They need respect. They need, they need, you know, just love and affection. I think that the, the kids, like the kids said, all the old heads are not giving these young people, some young people a chance to better themselves, you know?
1: Now, like, what would that chance look like? Because you called them before and you said that, right? And yeah. I just want to give a shout-out to Mel King, who is fighting for his life. He's in his 90s. And he's mm-hmm. an old school. He's an old head. And you still have Jean McGuire. She was fighting for her life. And she's an old head. She was the first black woman on the Boston School Committee. And she's still fighting. So I, I'm mm-hmm. in the spaces where I know. And, and people are dying. I mean, there's older people that are dying. And there's some older people that are tired. But go ahead. Because I remember you saying this before. So you're right. After Malcolm and Martin, um, H. Rap Brown and, and Huey, Lewis, you know, Huey Newton and stuff like that. But look at what happened to them. They got mm-hmm. gunned down, they got uh, jailed up. So it wasn't like people weren't trying to do that. There was, mm-hmm. a, there was a concerted effort by this government to keep black folks divided. I mean, the first FBI agent, um, the black first FBI agent was used to break up a, a black organization, a black power organization. But go ahead, go ahead, say, with your comment, go ahead. It,
4: it, if you look at it, the situation that we need to, okay, before we could even help any other, like, races or anything like that, we need to start fixing our own community, all right? Because if you don't start fixing your own house, then you can't fix somebody else's house, if you get what I'm saying. Like, I can't fix your house, but, and you can't fix mine. We have to fix this together because we have to find the love for each other because the internal racism that we have for each other it's ridiculous. Look at the look at our education system. It's broken, and when I say broken, it's broken to the core. Look at our our kids. Like they're stressed out. If you see a kid's face, they're like stressed out. And I'm sitting there like, okay, you know, and they what the product. They say you are a product of your environment because if you're in gunshots and you. Trying to get to school, we're ducking gunshots every single day. Like, okay, what is this? America's supposed to be a great country, but it's like a third world country.
0: Mm.
4: It's like a third world country where, you know, everywhere, people are soon be packing guns and like, oh, I can't walk without, you know. Mm. So it's like, what do we, what are we doing? But the community has to say enough is enough. The community has to come together and do it, like. We can't like these local politicians. They don't want to do it for us. We'll do it us. I believe in do for self. If you ain't gonna do it for me, I'm gonna do it for myself. That's how I feel. You know, that's how I. That's how I look at it.
1: Now, do you and, have and, kids? Do
4: you have kids? You know, or... No, no, no. So I'll no. say
1: I'll push back on you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we all have kids because even if you, if they're not your biological kids, if they're in your community, they're still our kids, right? Right. Right. So, I mean, I have, uh, I have, I have uh, one biological child, but I'm a school teacher. And when I got sick, uh, my kids were all in the hospital room, and the nurse asked, she says, what, I don't know what you do, but we got to get you back to doing what you do, because every time I come in here, it's packed with kids. And then she asked, um, how many kids do you really have? And one of my students said, oh, over 300. So, really, when I look at, and I remember old school, right? When your parents had to go to work, there was auntie, you know, there was down the street, or his was grandmama that was in the window. Like, our community looked out for each other. And it wasn't like we were shaming you because you needed a rent party, or you needed help, or groceries, or something like that, because we were all in the same bag. It's like, it could be me the next day. Do right. you feel that there's that same kind of sense of community now? No, and I'll
4: tell you why. Because that community is gone. They're not They're not coming through that door again. Mm-hmm. This community is totally different because it's where that I call these kids the technology generation. Mm. They know more than me or you. They know how to do things quicker than me or you. The fact of the matter is that we had failed these kids. Okay. I grew up in the 90s. Different era, different time. Yeah. Now, the people that I went to school with Mm -hmm. have kids but the ones that i went to school with put this way the 90s kids didn't teach this new generation of millennials or whatever you want to call it how to do things because when you don't teach one generation to how to do something then they fall by the wayside Mm these kids are seeing things that they're not supposed to see. they're seeing Images that they're not supposed to be seeing. They're seeing things, and I, I don't, I can't blame the parents. But I blame society. If you got images of, of hip hop rappers throwing guns and, and, and you know talking about, you know, I didn't know going to jail was supposed to be a street thing, <laughs> a street rep, you know. But we gotta put the edu- We gotta put ourselves back into education. We gotta teach our kids. I tell young kids, young black and Latino kids. I think it's said it be best. What, well, what's that movie? *Nursery Society*. You're the prey, and the hunt is on. That means if you don't find a way to better yourself, then it's sad because a lot of black and Latinos are in prison. A lot of okay, what happened to the grandfathers, the uncles, the 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 neighbors? Some male figure. These Male kids are angry. And for what, I don't know. I don't know if the father's dead, in jail, or out of their lives. But mm-hmm. as a man, we have to teach our young men how to become men. And these young women, how to become young women. Because if you don't have a male structure in the home, everything falls apart. I commend the single mothers. I commend
1: the mothers who are doing it. That hats off to you. Let me ask Why? you something. Were you raised <laughs> with your father in the home? Most of the time. Not all the time. Most mm-hmm. of the And what was the difference between when your dad was around you versus your mom? Because, you know, technically, well, it's different, right? right. So, so it's different with your mother loving you yeah. and raising you, but she's not a man. She's never been a yeah. man. And right. then the majority of black kids are being raised by women, which mm-hmm. wasn't the case when I was growing up. You had both of your parents. Right. So do you think there's a difference?
4: I think there's a difference. I think there's a difference when, like, both parents are, are are home, and I think it's a huge difference when, when it's like the res- the level that some kids see if they see the parents, both the parents are are getting. Mm-hmm. With the getting closer with themselves, that's good. But you have some relationships that don't work out, and who suffers? The the, the 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 child suffers, not the parents, not but the child. So I often tell these young brothers, I said, look, you come from mothers, you come, as you, you have mothers, you have sisters, you have all kinds of, you know, female figures. You have to treat them with respect. We are, we're not doing that. We're not teaching are young men how to become men and how to become what they're supposed to see in life, you know? And as a man, I'm ashamed to be, I'm ashamed that other young uh, that other men of my stature and of my age group are failing these kids.
5: Mm.
4: Okay, well, they're failing these kids. When you have kids going to school with guns, When you have kids hiding guns, or when you have kids doing all kinds of things, it's like you have to look at it and like, okay, they need love, they need attention.
1: And And, discipline, and direction. And directions,
4: yes. And I totally agree, and directions. Mm -hmm. We have to take a look at ourselves as a society, and we have to say, okay, what is wrong with this? First off, I would like to say, that we need to go back to the one structure of life and that's Jesus Christ when you take Jesus Christ out of any equation then you have total chaos and when you have total chaos you have things that are not right look at I'm a big fan of of, of reality TV can't help it but I see the rat I see the, 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 the ignorance mm. it's like a menstrual show the mm. ignorance of young black people acting a fool
1: and I'm sitting here
4: like come on man.
1: So I have so I'm going to challenge you for something because I know when I come back it's every other Monday that I'm here live and we will have had a a vacation well not a vacation but a holiday in between there and there are there are groups that are meeting um, to make a change. I personally have and making my decision whether or not I'm going to run for the school committee, whether I'm going to go for the school committee again. I've already applied for it four times. There's now two positions that are open, and um, so I'm really praying about it. I do believe that if someone doesn't have God in their life, um, and they are easing God out, that's an ego. Ego, easing God out. So I agree with you on that. I want to thank you for your phone call. I wish I had more time. You and I could talk a dog off a meat wagon right now. So thank you for your phone call, and God bless. Stay safe, brother. Thank you. Um, Wow. 617-708-3280. If you didn't call in, you're not going to have a chance to call in because we only have a few minutes left. I want to give a tribute um, to a very, very dear friend of mine that just recently passed, J. Scott Henderson, an amazing brother. He and his both of his brothers have gone on to heaven. They're playing guitar and bass guitar in heaven. Recently at spontaneous celebrations another good friend of mine, Edwin Sumter, put together a celebration and I was there. Um, a, a serious friend of mine who's one of the baddest videographers ever, uh, Rich Rosenthal, came out and he was there longer than I was and I was there all night. There were bands, there was music celebrating these young brothers life and especially J. Scott Henderson. We're going to play a video on the way out. That was a piece that was put together, I'm going to butcher her last name, but Faith Imafidon, Emma Imafidon, Emma, Emma I don't know, I-M-A-F-I-D-O-N, and she's uh, taken over for Chris Lovett at Neighborhood Network News. My name is Sharon Hinton, you've been on another level, do something positive, take care of yourself, and a random act of love and kindness for maybe a stranger, someone that can't even do something back. I hope to see you back next time, and hope that your consciousness and your actions have been put on another level. God bless you and uh, keep you.
2: To be... On Saturday, peace and joy filled the room as loved ones and friends gathered to pay tribute to beloved local musician, J. Scott Henderson. Jay was the founding member and lead guitarist of Jamaica Plain-based blues rock band, Red House. What
0: drew people to Jay was not only just his charm, uh, but it was also his, uh, his way of talking to people. He had transformed his life into being a loving, compassionate person. And that he g- gave to everybody uh, that he met, regardless. And so he attracted a lot of friends because of his heart because of his understanding of human nature and his forgiveness for himself and for anybody else.
2: Red House excited Boston with their fusion of funk, rock, and blues since the mid-1980s. And Jay's passion for music shone through in their many performances at Green Street Station in Jamaica Plain. Jay Scott Henderson was more than just a great musician, he was a unique human being. I'd never met anybody as open as Jay was. He had an eclectic choice of music and he had an eclectic choice choice of friends. Jay was the kind of person that when you spoke with him, you felt like you were the only person on the planet. He gave you his undivided attention and also, you felt obligated to give Jay yours. Jay's kind heart and loving spirit was magnetic and his friends and family will miss his gracious presence. It was only fitting that they honored his memory with a concert. Jay's smile was so magnetic
1: and his energy, he was more concerned, even while he was fighting cancer and battling cancer, he was more concerned about his family and friends. And being a phenomenal musician is one thing, being a black man in rock and roll is another thing, but also as um, just a human being that really cared his family and cared for his friends and it showed through his music and it showed through his heart and it showed through the way he talked to everyone.
2: Jay passed away on September 4th while battling cancer, but his compassionate energy lives on through his loved ones and music.